Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out. Anyway, let's dive into this episode. Hilarious. All right, I just hit live and welcome to episode five, everyone. This is episode five of the Vin and Ali show. This time we are reviewing a book that we both actually haven't read before. We've read it now before we're doing this podcast, but before this, we haven't read it. So... The book is called The Paradox of Choice, and it's by Barry Schwartz. And look, this book, if I had to summarize it, because Ali always refuses to introduce the book, so isn't this not going to do it? Well, look, I think it's about – well, the reason I picked up this book and wanted to read this book with Ali is because I found that in my life, as I've started to have more access to choice and have more choices in my life, I kind of found myself becoming more unhappy. And this book, this book basically explores that, that why is it that the more choices we have, the more unhappy we actually become? Do you have anything to add to that, Ali? No, I think it's, as always, you've introduced this perfectly. I was just listening to you as you went in there and I'm like, yeah, is he right? Like, does choice make us more unhappy? And I, I think it's uh, the paradox. It's in the title. Is and, yeah. and I don't even know if the book answers this really well or not, but it is that whole notion of, do we need more choice, um, which is essentially the world that we live in, especially if you live in the Western world, it's all about choice and freedom and flexibility versus is life better when things are decided for us and there is more limited choice and you just find contentment in the choices that are available. And well, I think COVID get this. is a great example of that. <laughs> With- well, well, get this for, us for, for a moment. Like you always hear people say that once you make a certain amount of money, then after that, there's just diminishing returns on happiness, right? You know, people say you you make 70,000, then after 70,000 or whatever the number is, after that is just diminishing returns. So it it kind of aligns with what this book is saying because the more money you make, the more choices you have access to. So, you know, if you make $10,000, you've got very limited choices, $70,000, you've got lots of choices. And then the moment you have make more than that, then all of a sudden the number of choices can become overwhelming, therefore diminishing returns on, you know, happiness, diminishing returns on just everything. Now, what's interesting is what this book is saying, though, is that not only is there diminishing returns after that, it actually causes a negative impact. It causes you to actually become extremely unhappy. Which is, again, why it's in the title, why people, people often say the, the line, uh, less is more, but this is saying why more is less. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that that aligns, is how it, yeah. there, there's an alignment to how much money you make, unhappiness, and yeah, I thought, I thought that was interesting. I think um, on that point, the, the bit that stands out is that whole concept of how we get used to things. So like, Adaptation. Like you know, adaptation, right? Like you can sit there and you go on that beautiful resort holiday. You have the nice room looking over the beach and first day, it's amazing. You're taking photos, but then like by day five or six, even there, and you know, it's amazing. And you're, you're finding the gratitude, but you're like, oh, well, 
is there another pool around or uh, uh, can we try another buffet breakfast? Like straight away, this thing that is so novel just becomes the norm. And I thought that concept is really interesting and probably one that I don't really think about that often is, you know, that whole, that whole notion of when you find something that you really like and how nearly it's like the value of that essentially for the most part diminishes um, soon after yeah. you get used to it. I don't know if you feel that. That, that, that I think that's one of the dangers of not having any choice because mm. if you had to stay on that resort for the next 10 years, then it, then it's no longer, Oh, this is so beautiful. Then it becomes a, a castaway movie mm. where you start to freak out and draw faces on balls <laughs> and become friends with objects. So, so again, it's an example of where if you've got no choice, it's terrible. So, if you've got too much choice is terrible, but then it's, it's, there's that middle range of choice that is <laughs> optimal, right? And you have to almost voluntarily choose less yeah. because, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, look, I, I, maybe there are people in the world who, who 100% have zero choice, right? Mm-hmm. Hard for me to relate to that because I grew up in the Western world where we, we have a good number of choices, but then I think in life, our main goal is to just go after choice. We want more and more and more choice. Mm. And that, I think, I think the, the, the chase of that can actually be really mm-hmm. dangerous for your, your happiness. Mm. Well, uh, I'm pretty excited for this one because I think there's so many different angles yeah. for us to dig into. And I think it's quite a relevant book just because, you know, depending on where you're living yeah. in the world right now, uh, the pandemic's probably impacted everyone in some way and impacted the choices that we make. Like like one of the things that I made a note of when I was reading this was just streaming services. Like right now in Melbourne, we're probably in one of the most severe lockdowns on earth where you can't go outside five kilometers of your house. You, um, you know, the choices are very limited from what you could do. But mm-hmm. then inside the house, one of the big choices is subscription services. Like I've got like four or five of them and you're sitting there with the kids, but uh, it really ties into this book because sometimes you'll sit there for like 10 minutes and you're scrolling through, looking for new shows, doing all those bits and pieces. And it's like, well, how do I pick one now? Like, because then it goes into the whole notion of trade-offs. It's like, well, if I watch that, like, A, can I, am I willing to invest 10 hours of my future into this show when there's five, 10 other shows that I could be picking right now? Is that a commitment that I want to make? Then you pick one <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm three episodes in. I can't leave now. We're already, uh, I've built a relationship with these characters. What, what do we do here? And then it's like, oh, should I switch to another streaming channel and then see what they've got? Like, to me, that's one that is quite overwhelming right now. Like, I know it's on a very low scale of impact. But well, I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked that you only spend 10 minutes trying to find a movie. Like, hey, when my wife and I, sometimes we sit there for half an hour to an hour. And th- like, this is no exaggeration, man. And it's, and it gets frustrating because yeah. like, this is, this is what we do, right? This is what we do. So we'll go, oh, what I'll say to her, what about this movie? She goes, ah, oh, let me just check IMDb. And she goes, oh, I got yeah. 4.5. And I'm like, 4.5? We're definitely not watching that. You can't watch and then it. we go to the next one. You can't watch a 4.5. And then you watch the next one. And then you just, oh, you only got 5.5. And, and then well, what's, what's happened is we've become crippled by choice. Mm-hmm. And now with access to more information than ever, we're trying to become movie critics. 
Yeah. Right. Whereas before we would just, we, you know, you just go down to the local blockbusters and you go down to the weekly section and you just take one and you go home with it and you put it in, whether it's good or not, you enjoyed it. It's all good. Right. Ooh. Even if it was a five out of five, you go, oh, it was all right. But next week, we're just going to grab some new ones. Now, yeah. the level of importance that we place on each choice, it's just, I don't know. Well, what, one of the core, one of the core <laughs> takeaway, takeaways from the book is that when there's more choice, we are more likely now to make the wrong decision mm. and we're more likely to become dissatisfied with the choice that we make. Mm. And mm-hmm. that's, that, that is the greatest example that you gave, which is about the subscription thing. And we're, we're severely impacted <laughs> by that. Well, I was remembering, and for listeners that are younger than us, which... Um, I'm sure there'll be a group there. Like, remember when there was four channels in Australia? Like, yeah, like seven, nine, ten, oh, and ABC. Yes, that and was SBS the- and SBS. Yeah, there was SBS, SBS well. right? And you'd look at the TV guide yeah. like a week in advance, and then you'd circle the things that were off interest, or you'd just end up going down <laughs> a rabbit hole. Like, like it was pre-chosen if you were watching it. It's mind blowing right now that that responsibility falls on us. And well, like I well, the personally, book- I love it, but. Well, the book, the book also talks about another example, which I thought was interesting, which is in the same kind of realm of what we're talking about, except just a slightly parallel world where it it talked about doctors, how you used to go to a doctor and the doctor would tell you, this is what you need to do. However, now you go to the doctors and the doctor is asking you, well, these are the choices. Which one would you like to take? Because the doctors are afraid of, oh, if I make the choice for you, what if we make the wrong one? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because they gave lots of stats where they were saying, I think one of them was saying, I'll get the numbers wrong, but where they were saying that people going into cancer treatment were saying how, you know, 60 plus percent of them were saying, yeah, we want to choose our own treatment. But then when they actually went in, it was 80 plus percent of them wanted the doctor to make the decision the for them. Mm. So we always think we want more choice, but the reality is when it comes to the actual situation, we actually want less choice. Mm. And, and I also think another parallel world that this connects to is creativity. And, and I found this fascinating when I learned it years ago, when I learned that when you when you have more constraints, you're actually more creative. And I was like, what? I thought when you have complete freedom, you'd be more creative. Yeah. But it's not the case. The more constraints- It's like haikus, right? You know, they've got yeah, that structure yes. and, and some of the most beautiful writing come, happens through that. Yeah, Twitter. If you have 120 characters, yeah. <laughs> it, yep. it's. I think it's a really good call. So, so I mean, so it's summarizing that. that, was that where I think one that's really interesting, and I, I still don't know whether I came to a conclusion or not with this, is what's your natural inclination when you make choices? Like, how are you? Like, talk a little bit about that. Where where do you fall on the spectrum? It depends which area of my life, right? Mm -hmm. I think in the book, it talks about two types of decision makers, right? One type is the maximizer, which I have to have the, I have to make the ultimate best decision ever. And then there's the satisfizer, which is the person who just good enough. It's okay. That's good enough. Let's just keep moving. That's good enough. And Mm -hmm. I, I, in some areas of my life, am a maximizer. And then in some other areas of my life, am a satisfizer. So it just really depends what area of my life you're talking about. When it comes to making a decision on technology, tech, I'm a maximizer. 
Yeah. Meaning I will read every single review there is to read on this particular product, watch nearly every single YouTube review there is to watch on that YouTube review. And then I'm literally with my iPad, I'll write things down. Yep. And yep. I j- I've just got to make the best purchase. It's got to be the, the best price. And it's, man, it's, 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 and then when I think back on it, I'm like, man, what, how much time have I wasted on that? Uh, it's terrible. And I- Start. I would have to agree with that just by looking at our podcast setup right now. Is, yeah. That is yeah. a complete outcome if you're doing that. But uh, I think I, <laughs> I used to be, I used to be like that, especially with tech. Like I remember my first TV, like I think it would have been 2005 when I finally earned yeah. enough money to buy my first TV, which was like a four year dream. I wanted, I think, a Samsung to, to <laughs> play my Xbox on. And I oh, would have spent very cute. I think I would have spent the best part of four months like researching wow. TVs, finding the best price, calling up a hundred different places, negotiating, going back and forth, you know, like just going through that process of purchase. And yeah, I think maximizing is definitely naturally what I'm more inclined to as well. And just to, I guess, explain that a little bit more. Like, can you explain maximizing and satisfying? Yeah, well, I mean, you use the fancy analogy to to wrap that up. (laughs) Put me on the spot. I can't think of one right now. To me, I I think maximizing is simply you are just trying to make the best decision possible. And as a result, you need to do the maximum amount of research to be able to make that decision, which generally results in you taking a very long time to make a decision. And then even when you've made a decision, you're unhappy with a decision because the natural tendency of a maximizer is that, you know, there can never be a good decision because you buy something at this store and then you'll find it later online for cheaper. And you go, see, made the damn wrong decision. So that, that kind of, to me, maximizer. And then the satisfizer is kind of, you know, I, my wife, she's, she's, she's very good with that in terms of, oh, that's good enough. No worries. That's fine. And then that's yeah. fine. And then she never looks up the prices on that again. It's all good. Whereas I will go, ah, see, could have got it for cheaper if you waited. And yeah. maybe that's why my wife chose me because she's a satisfizer. She just, yeah, he's good enough. We'll just, we'll keep moving. <laughs> well, the book has an interesting test where it asks you what, like, mm. what was it, 15, 20 questions? And you go yeah, through it and, it and it's on a scale. Where, where do you fall on the spectrum? No, but did, did, you, did you do it? Yeah, I did I'm it. My score. I got my score was 46. All right. I had a 54. Oh, so you're more of a maximizer than I am. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because I, I looked at you as being a satisfizer because look look at your setup. You're satisfied with your setup. You haven't changed it mm. much. I've changed yeah. mine always. I mean, you look at it, it's different again because I wanted a bit of depth in the shot now to yeah. create a you know more visually appealing shot. Mm. Whereas you yeah, nothing's really changed. You know, uh, you've done it relatively, yeah. Well, what I found when I did the test was I'm extreme at both scales. So there's some of those questions where I was fully in the maximizer camp and then there was others where I was fully in the satisfizer. So I think what I found was it depends. It's very much contextual based. You know, yeah. so there'll be, you know, heaps of stuff that I'm happy for it just to fly through to the keeper where I won't give it much thought. And I'm pretty satisfied with it. But then if there's things that are very aligned or in that hitting zone, then I think I'd strongly lead to maximizing. Um, but then what I oh, also think- found, sorry. 
No, go ahead. No, no. Um, what I was just going to finish that with what I also found is I think the maximizer component of that, it's just because naturally quite analytical around weighing up options. So I feel a lot more comfortable. I don't find it overwhelming if there's 400 options to go through, if it's something that I'm really into. Like I actually enjoy that process. It doesn't uh, cause me any grief. And, and at least that way, it makes me a lot more comfortable with my decision. You know, whereas in the book, it kind of, and this is where I disagreed with the book a little bit, uh, where it says that maximizes, it kind of paints the picture that if you're somebody that really analyzes or overthinks things a bit, you're going to have a life of torment because you're always going to be second guessing your decisions. And yeah, you know, you might have things like regret, you'll have buyer's remorse. Whereas I actually think it's the other way. I think when you do maximize in areas that are important to you, to me, it actually mm-hmm. helps on the other side because it feels like, all oh, right, well, I've made the best decision possible while knowing everything that I could with that, uh, with the information that was available. So that was just my thought on it where like the book didn't make me think that I'm going to become more of a satisfizer, which is kind of what the point mm. of the book was. And maybe I missed the point <laughs> a little bit, but no, uh, <laughs> no I, I, I actually felt the same way. I mean, the book was just pushing us towards being a satisfizer. Look, you've, 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 you know, you've got a, you've got a, it's almost lowered the expectations and, and, you know, good enough is good enough. And I think that's a dangerous place to be because like that goes against a lot of what I believe when it comes to, you know, when it comes to creating something like for me, when it comes to creating a product product, like right now I'm creating something for a big client of mine. And to me, the process of maximizing is very important. I think it's very important to go through everything with a fine tooth comb and making sure that is as perfect as possible. I, how, however, though, I read this book because I found myself to become, you know, just in life, as you get access to more choices, you start to feel overwhelmed and you start to become slightly unhappy. So again, I think it's just in some places, you've got to apply the maximizer mindset. And then in some places, apply the satisfizer. Like who cares what soap brand you get? It's all good. It's soap. Who cares what brand hand, hand, hand sanitizer it is? So I think that there's key places where it can actually destroy you. And then there's key places where it can actually enhance you. You just have to choose carefully what those things are. Mm-hmm. So I think our- Like really? Our, our what I was going to say is that really, oh, we're doing it. Yeah. But what I was going to say was, I think really the TV you get is not that dramatic. Yeah. Right, it's yeah. it's not that dramatic. You got the Samsung instead of the LG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think what our conclusion might be then is, if it's important to you, take more liberty to maximize. Mm. And if it's not, then maybe give yourself the freedom to just be satisfied. And maybe it goes back to other concepts that we've spoken about before, which is like the eighty twenty rule and a few of those. Is if you're gonna because I think. The thing with maximizing is that there's a very high level of cognitive strain. Like if you're maximizing all the time, it it depletes a lot of your energy. Like if you're sitting there weighing up a decision, and I know this happens to me, I'm not sure if it happens to you, but it it nearly becomes all-consuming. And then you miss all the other little beautiful moments that are happening in your life because you're just fixated on on that decision or solving that problem or whatever it is, maximizing that. And I think that's where... It may be kind of, you know, questioned a little bit. But then also on the other hand, I think there's some things that just need to be maximized. So it's it's the paradox. It's 
it, it's very hard, I think, to put a black and white yeah. rule based on this. Because- well, because you have to be the one that decides what you maximize and what you don't. I mean, I'll give you an example. For me, when we go to the grocery store, because I'm currently reading a book on health and nutrition, I'm currently maximizing while I'm in the grocery store. And I find it so exhausting because while I'm in a grocery store, I'm looking at every single label. Then I'm comparing the competition and going, okay, which one has, uh, which one has sugar, which one has less sugar, which one's got, you know, like, and then it just, it's, and then once I leave the grocery store, I just don't ever want to go again. Whereas like to my wife, she's just like, yeah, that looks good. That looks good. That looks good. And then she's out of there. She's like no cognitive strain, full satisfied, satisfies her mindset while there. And then I leave it and I'm just, I'm exhausted, man. <laughs> so, so to me, I, I, I can see where maximizing again, like you said, is it's actually terrible for you. Yeah. It's actually really bad. Yeah. And again, Netflix, when we're choosing a show for Netflix is because we're trying to maximize that next hour. Whereas being a satisfizer in that, in that category is fine. Like, and, and here's the, here's the crazy part is we watched a movie the other night and it was like a five out of 10 and it actually turned out to be pretty damn good. It yeah. was great. It was no worries, yeah. you know? And, and then we watched one that gave like, Hey, then we watched one that was a zombie movie that was seven out of 10 from IMDB. And it was called uh, the peninsula, which was meant to be really good and everything. And that was like a one out of 10. Mm. That was terrible. Yeah. And then it got like a seven. So again, and I don't yeah. know if you feel this, but I feel the pressure. Like if a movie gets 8.6, I feel like there's an inherent <laughs> pressure that I need to like it. Otherwise I'm not understanding the point of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you just doubt yourself. You're doubting your own ability to enjoy a movie. What happened to you, Ali? What the frick? It's like, yeah, well, you know, when it gets a really good review, it's like, well, 400,000 people love this thing. Like, what, is there well, something wrong with me? Well, I can't understand that this is one of the best movies that's ever been created. And it's like, maybe I need to watch it again. Maybe I missed something big. And it's like, oh, no, I just don't think that that movie was really for me. <laughs> the well, yeah, well, that's the thing. It's taste, right? It's taste. Yeah, and I think, taste. you know, that, that touches on a, something, a bigger topic in that just because other people like something doesn't mean you have to. Hang on. I, I think we're, we're, we're so quick to want to follow the herd. I think it's harder and harder to, to, to not follow the herd in today's world because online, the world, they, they, will, they will attack you. You know, if you, if you don't believe in something that I believe, it's just, uh, then the world's just like, oh, you're a bad person, you're this and you're that. But everyone is different. I think if we truly understood how different everybody is and their taste, yeah, I think it would blow your freaking mind. Well, another one that comes to mind is when you're traveling and – I think most people nowadays, they'll look at TripAdvisor, they'll look at Google reviews, you know, when you're walking mm. around, it's like restaurants near me and then there'll be like the big tourist one and you'll walk to it, there'll be 40 people lining up and it becomes this experience where it's like, well, now there's scarcity, so I need to line up as well, otherwise I'm going to miss one of the big things and when I get back, people are going to ask, did you go to that place when you are in that area? And then, and then you see never this other do place and then there's this other place down the road which is empty and you get you walk in there and it's like this amazing experience <laughs> because like the people aren't, aren't like shattered by the tourists coming in <laughs> you have this conversation <laughs> and it becomes this beautifully rich experience but there, there is this culture of we yeah. we now want social proof with nearly every decision because there is an overwhelming yeah. amount of choice you know people don't want to have buyer's remorse so the way that we block yeah. that off is we look at 
reviews and we ask our friends and then it probably just means that the variety actually is limited like it's funny choice becomes we've we've simplified choice mm. by social proof mm. which but but that 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 technically should have made things easier then which makes us happier which is true because imagine if you had to go online and there was no such thing as reviews and then like how do you make an informed decision so I, th- I think in the nature of – keep in mind, this book was written in 2005. I mean, one of the things that, that, that freaked me out when I was reading this book was when the author's like, when you go to the shops and you get 30 different variations of a VCR and 50 different types <laughs> of DVDs, I'm like, wait, what? Where was this book written? It freaked me out. It freaked me out for a second. <laughs> Sorry about this. I was like, this is hilarious. Like, the Sony yeah, was like, versus Awa. I'm like, Awa? I don't <laughs> oh, my God, Awa. I remember Awa. They were the cheaper brand that, that we always bought. That was the one. And, but, but, but what's interesting in that is that I think technology has helped us, especially the review aspect, with the abundance of choice. So mm-hmm. as the invention of reviews and you know, experts who go online to review products, that's actually helped. I mean, I think if that wasn't around and, and I was trying to – and I was a maximizer, man, it would mess, it would mess me up, I think. Especially, I, I wouldn't be able to make a decision on, on some areas of my life. Yep. Well, sure. well, what that also means is that the more, ch- because what this book is saying, one of the core things this book is saying is that we now live in a world with more choices than ever. And it's, it's surpassed the point where it's healthy. It's gotten to the point now where it's unhealthy. So what that means is I think that experts become more valuable in each different area. So it's, that's why you look at some of the YouTubers that you see on YouTube. They, all they do is review products. Like that is a job now. There's mm-hmm. a job. There's, there's a kid that's getting paid millions of dollars every year just to review the different types of security cam- cameras that come out. <laughs> so because we live in a world now with so much abundance, there's, there's a rise of this new industry of experts in areas that you – like there shouldn't be an experts on toilets. <laughs> The toilet is a yeah, toilet. Yeah, you just you, yeah. you, 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 you do a poo and you, you do a pee and you press a button and it's gone. But now there are experts on bidets and all these different types of toilets. Uh, I'll have to disagree. So I think you- the, toilet, the toilet is a sanctuary. <laughs> it's, it's a place of peace and calm. Where you no, to- it's not. You go in there to make a turd and you leave. That's all it should be. There shouldn't be anything else. You're, you're missing the whole point. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining you in the toilet now, and it's like every time you go in there, it's like a gong happens. Like Dong. a gong. There's like a there's a book. Yeah. There's a bookshelf. Angels singing. There's a, there's a TV. There's speakers. There's a stove. There's just a making candle. your noodles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's there's a choir of children just singing in there while you're doing a book. We've gone off topic. Oh, we've gone off topic. We've done it. We've done it. We've done. It. Hey, this is this is good. This gets the endorphins going, which allows for a better a better podcast. Yeah, perfect. Well, no, but but what but what what I was reeling it back in. What I was saying was, I I I don't believe there should be too many experts in the world of toilets. And and what's interesting is it's just allowed for a, a whole new industry to kind of emerge where there are now more experts than ever right Mm. and 
But that also makes it hard because now there are more experts. Well, which expert do I listen to? Which expert should I should I should I open the YouTube video for? And then experts will have conflicting ideas and uh, conflicting opinions. And then you're like, yep, back to square one. Damn it. Mm. It's, it is interesting though. Like I, yeah. I'm trying to think back to say a purchase decision over the last mm-hmm. five years okay. that I've regretted. Okay. And you know, like, like one of the one of the concepts that's brought up in the book is buyer's remorse, where people weigh up all these different choices, then they make a purchase, and then two weeks later they regret it. Whereas mm. I actually think now, because of reviews and all of these bits and pieces, and just because of the way the world is, like socially, it's unacceptable to release a poor product. Like if you do, the internet will not be forgiving, and it will mm. ensure through commentary that your product is no longer mm. there. So I think it's probably pushed the quality of services and products. Like it's really hard nowadays to just use marketing and advertising and then to sell yeah. snake oil. Whereas, mm. you know, it's not a sustainable strategy. Maybe you get away with it for three months, six months, but you cannot have a, a brand or a business that's sustainable. Whereas I think that's what has kind of happened. Just to wrap up. Oh, that I, sli- is- I slightly disagree with that. I slightly disagree. I, I think there is snake oil. There is snake yeah. oil. Dude, how many how many ads do you see for, hey, here are the seven steps on how to make a million dollars in the next whatever. Like the, the fact that snake oil still exists blows my mind. Yeah. But I like, think people try for snake oil because it's easy, but it's not sustainable. Like then you look at those ads and it'll have 40 comments just being like, signed up, worst thing ever, don't do it, yeah, scam. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, like – no, no, maybe you're yeah, right. But, but, maybe but, then, no, but no, no, no. But okay, let's let's just talk about this in a more interesting way. In that, I've seen these ads. I know you've seen these ads. I know all our viewers and our listeners have seen these ads. And when you see these ads and you look into the comment section, a lot of the times, a it's also fake comments because you see a whole yeah. bunch of comments. You know, oh, best thing I ever did. This was amazing. And you're like, oh wow, that sounds just super fake. And then, and then you're you're less likely now to leave a negative comment there because you don't want to get attacked as well. So back to something we said earlier, right? You just go, oh, is it worth fighting the fight? Is it worth fighting the good fight? And you know, evil exists because the good person stands by and does nothing, right? Yeah. I I see a lot of snake oil. However, I think you are right because do, do you remember do you remember Ty Lopez? Yeah. And this is not to say his like I'm I'm just I'm not a huge fan of this guy. So yeah. he's, he's he's always in his garage with all of the books behind him and in his Ferraris, yeah. right? I just don't understand. Yeah. I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how that stuff works, but it works. Well, I think in the, especially in the information product space, it became like a cultural thing, didn't it? Where you could put a blanket over experts with jets in the background, with fancy cars. And, you know, it's that whole concept of, I've done it. You can do it too. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just allergic to to these kind of scams. It makes me feel, yeah. yeah just getting allergies. <laughs> Ty Lopez, and it made you, yeah, it just, made you sneeze. <laughs> we can, we can wipe that bit out now. Yeah, apologies yeah. to the Ty Lopez fans. We don't like pinpointing certain people, but I'd have to agree. Like when I first I just saw don't that, like, it. like internally, you, you you get an internal cringe. Um, yeah. but then maybe there's a lot of people out there that have used your stuff and it's amazing. Who knows? Like, I don't know. I've never bought anything, but. Um, well, look, that's okay. Time. I'm happy to, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to actually be on this side of the fence and say that I'm, I don't like it. I don't yeah. like any of that kind of snake oil stuff. It actually makes my skin crawl. Well, yeah. just because I, it's, 
oh, it, I, I, I look at me. This is me just telling everyone how amazing of a person I am. But I just, I just don't like it when someone uses those kind like bait when they yeah. bait people with material things. When they just mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, it's just I don't like that because I know so many people are being misled by that. So many people then buy into it thinking that they're sure I'm going to be able to buy the card that you have as well. And mm. I don't know, it just it drives me crazy. But let's keep moving forward. Let's not get stuck here. I think so. But no, good, good. I think that was a... Well, well that's what we spoke about, right? What, what we spoke about there was in a world with more choice, all of a sudden what happens is that it gives rise to more experts. So that's interesting. I thought that was interesting in that we do live in a world now with a lot more experts as a result of an abundance yep. of choice. But also what that means is, and leading us into like almost the, the next point in the book that I thought was interesting, was that the more options we have, the harder it is for us to make a good decision. Mm. So we've noticed that now too. We've kind of spoken about how, man, there's just thousands of movies on Netflix and all the streaming services. Now it's harder to make a better decision. And then to sum it up, and then we can move on from this, is that the more options we have then, the harder decisions, which means there's more likely a mistake. Mm. But the internet has rectified that is what you're saying. The internet has allowed us to be able to get back on track a little to make better choices mm. as a result of reviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think- what about the fourth one? What about this fourth one real quick? Is that if you follow that logic, then the next one is when we make a decision, we are less satisfied is what the book says. Is that because of the abundance of choice, once you make a decision, you're more likely to make the wrong one. Therefore, as a result, when you make a decision, you're less satisfied. Yeah, well, well, it's the whole thing is like ignorance is bliss, right? Versus if you know if you know the trade-offs and you know what you're potentially losing by making the choice. I think I think they're the toughest ones where there's either a lot of similarity with a large number of choices, or mm. if there are very distinct pros and cons. And if you have to choose one, you can clearly tell what you're losing by choosing the other. Like, I think picking a hotel is a pretty good one for that. When you log on to booking.com and there are, you know, 5,000 hotels or whatever it is and you're trying to pick one and then you're sitting there and you're making the decision, well, I'm going to spend five days at this place. This one's got blah, 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 and it's near here. This one's here. And then, but you'd know as soon as you were, like if you just picked one hotel, like if you go to the travel agent and they just give you one option and you take it, you won't know any better. Whereas mm. if you're weighing up 10 or 15, you're looking at all the different prices and you're like, well, I'm going to pick this one. But then you get there and it wasn't exactly what you wanted. And then you walk past the other one that you were considering and you're like, oh, that one looked pretty good. Like I was this close to clicking on that. I think mm. that is, is a tricky one. And it goes, maybe the follow-up thing is, is well, then how do we, if that's just the reality of making decisions and choices, which it is in any aspects of life, how do we stop ourselves from exploring the sliding door moment or completely blocking out that there was an alternative and removing the trade-off <laughs> from our brain? Well, don't look. I mean, I think, look, the, right? the, the, the simplest, well, I think the simplest example is you and I are both married, right? Yeah. How do we stay happily married? Don't go out No, but I was like, look, this, let's explore. Let's let's uh, let's be yeah, daring uh, and let's dare uh, great. Like, well, uh, well, yeah. what I want to say is, look, you and I are both married. 
So yep. how do you stay happily married? Well, don't go every, don't go out every Saturday night to the club trying to pick up. Yeah. Like it just, you, you have to, this is voluntary satisfying, mm. right? Like again, again, maybe this is why some people, I mean, I know I picked a very kind of sensitive area to talk about, but it's like, well, that's, it's, it's marriage, right? You made the decision that I'm no longer going to seek other options and I'm no longer going to go check out what I'm missing out on. I've made a, a commitment and I'm good. You know, let's, let's remove any choice from that. I think getting married is removing the choice of being with anybody else. And the more choices you start to get rid of, the easier life becomes. Because in the book, it talks about morning routines. When you wake up in the morning, you can do everything with your eyes closed. You know where the door is to the bathroom. You go in there. You know where your toothbrush is. Like, you are making choices still, but in a sense, they're not cognitively – it doesn't yeah, take away right. cognitive energy, right? They're, they're automated. They're automated. And I can tell you, because of that, my morning, my, I love my morning routine. It's the same thing every day. I, I you know, wake up, brush your teeth, have a shower, dress yourself, go downstairs, make a cup of coffee. I love that because your brain right after that still feels fresh. So it's, it's, and I mean, the reason why I actually picked this book was because I, I heard, I heard Derek Sivers talk about it. And when I heard Derek Sivers talk about it, one of the reasons why he decided to give his company away in the, in the last book we did in the last podcast, episode four, is that he goes, I just wanted to give it away so that I no longer had to make that choice. I wanted to remove that choice. And then the moment I removed that choice, I felt better. And I was like, that's crazy to remove, like, you just gave away 20 plus million dollars and that made you feel better. That, and that, that just blew me away. That's why I had to read this book because he goes, one of the core principles was this book that made him just do that. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I also felt like, you know, if I had to give this book an analogy, it just, it felt like, like everyone was raving about it. They sounded like it was really amazing. And then I ate it and I was like, Oh, the first few bites were really good as well. It's like Kobe beef. And you, you take the first few bites and you're like, oh, this tastes really good. But then after taste three or four or five, it just, it's too overpowering. Like it was too, too much of the sameness that, that kind of drove me a little bit crazy in the end. Because it talked about the same concepts over and over and over again, kind of drove me a little bit crazy because I'm like, I get it. Ah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a little bit of repetition. <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> kind of like what we're doing right now in the podcast. <laughs> So we're, Hey, we're just giving you the full experience of what this book did to us. We're doing it back to all of you. So, uh, yeah, you get what you give. Uh, at some point, I hope we can extract some value that is practical and applicable for the people listening from, from this book. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even touch the marriage bit. <laughs> yeah, I know. You just, you just fully avoided. <laughs> I love how you started there and ended up in beef uh, as well. But yeah, said, <laughs> I'm like, do I probe him on this? Because you've literally said nothing other than uh, you got married and then you like went straight to beef. No, <laughs> no, I know. I said you got married, which is the removal of choice because you're saying I'm no longer going to, you know, go around and look yeah, at yeah. other options. You know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you want to talk. You want to talk about more why you're avoiding this completely? Because Scarly's like, "Well, I'm hitting the clubs tonight." Yeah, <laughs> no, not in Melbourne. You're not. Um, I, th I think it's a. I, I've always thought 
that marriage is a construct is very interesting. Now, I got married when I was 19, um, you know, been married now for what, like 15 years. Amazing. Love it. Yeah. And <laughs> you I, say I, that I, with I, such enthusiasm. <laughs> love, love it. it. Yeah, yeah, love anybody it. been married for 15 years, that's how they say they love it. Uh, <laughs> love it. Yep. I, I think I think there there is something really powerful though with relationships especially right because with relationships you can you can have variety like i, I look at friends that you know uh, are experts at tinder and they they get for maybe five years you know there's a lot of variety and it's going in there but then you have the conversation and a lot of the times it's like well you know i really wish i had what you had i wish i had one yeah. person that that i could log in and then you've got friends that are married that are like, mm. oh, what I'd do to just go on another date and to have that fresh feeling again, you know, like that yeah. that first date feeling. So it's again, it's the same thing, and I think you touched on it. Where I think the really beautiful thing about marriage is the depth that you can get into a partnership, yeah, and into mm-hmm. a relationship, and you know, you get to share things, you get to learn. Like there's nuances that you just cannot find, or that would take yeah. a very very long time. Uh, if you've got a high turnover off relationships, right? Like it becomes like a rock. And if I look mm. at it, like if I look at my marriage, it's like the core of the foundations. And then I have the variety in other aspects of life, whether it's business or it's, you know, travel experiences and all of that. But it's like, there's this foundation, which is like family, you know, kids, wife. And I think there is a really importance in that grounding and, uh, I, I love, like, I, I thought when I was younger, I wouldn't like the construct of it. Like, I wouldn't say that I was a big believer in marriage as a construct. You know, I'm like, well, it sounds a bit weird that we're formalizing this relationship with a contract. You know, like, there was something strange there where, like, and it does change it. It's different. Once you get married, it's weird. Like, it's not the same as when you're dating or like there's a different mm. stage in the relationship. But, but I think that there is something really interesting. But then once you're in it, you start, I think it actually becomes more valuable. Uh, well, it has in my experience as time's gone on rather than the other way. Not saying that it's all roses and that there aren't challenges, um, but it's so, well, so it's it's the paradox <laughs> of choice. I want to, I want to, I, I want to <laughs> focus a bit more on what you said before in that when you're in that dating phase, I mean, I still remember early on in dating and everything. Like, I can tell you now that when there's again, that's an example of when there's so much choice it creates pain. Mm. You know, who am I going to choose? Who, who am I going to be with? Do I still want to be with this person? Do I, sh- 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 could I do better? Um, or, or, or does this person lo- like, again, it's just, it's overwhelming when, like when I think about if, if I had to be single again at some point, mm. I dread that because man, yeah. that just means you have to dive back into the ocean and now that you're just overwhelmed with choice, I think that's frightening. I think that's yeah. absolutely frightening. So, so to me, that's an example of, you know, like the, like the, the I, I, I never was dating during that. Mm. That Tinder's a relatively new thing, right? So imagine just the choices, man. That's just, that's, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. You need an automated yeah. system. Like, uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's again, it's. Well, well, that's why now they're, they're, again, just like, isn't it interesting how now there are love experts, huh? Right? Like now there are experts, like there, there are actual Tinder experts now to teach you how to write your profile mm-hmm. so that people would like, isn't that bizarre? That's so bizarre. I've got a friend of mine who's in, I think he's got a business in New York and in LA. 
and he does Tinder photography. So his business is taking Tinder photos and he's got it down to a science because they now know what type of imagery converts at a higher level. So they've gone through. Oh, my God. There's certain things, right? Like, Like a guy wearing a suit holding a cat. I think has a pretty good uh, right. <laughs> these- Are you there's serious? Yeah, there's all these different things like like cats, cats and a guy like like it's something like 80 percent click through. There's there's all these um like like formulas. So so it's like a package that's sold, which gives you ten to fifteen of the high converting Tinder photos, like locations that, but that, that are better. But that, that- <laughs> you see, you see what what this book is saying then is that if you then get like. 50 people that, that have a match with you, that's going to create pain because how do you choose from these 50 people? If one of them is my soulmate, oh man, that is yep. tough, right? Like how do you, oh, that freaks me out. That freaks me out. I mean, I for me, it was, it was easy. I, I walk, dude, I walked into a bar, saw this beautiful girl and went, I, I, I really want that one. I like that one. Okay. And that was, that was it. And she didn't like me at all at the first, the first approach. So it's just, it's just, yeah. it's probably because it's probably you were doing that. You're like, oh, I really yeah, like yeah, that yeah. one. No, 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 no. Like, it's because, it's because, that isn't an idea. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's very, that's disgusting. No, but I actually, I actually went up to her and, and showed her a magic trick and she hated it. So, but I just, I, I really imagine walking into a bar and then going, Holy crap! There's like there's a hundred people I really like. Man, that that's so stressful. The thought of that is just. Mm. Anyway, yeah. I. W- w- I mean, another point in the book, right, is that what we're saying. I mean, if we talk about if we use marriage as the same, same example, this is terrible. But let's just use it anyway. One of the I next points like in the book that the I felt. Last one safely, and now you want to yeah, go yeah, again. Now, now, now we're in trouble because we're bringing back what we spoke about earlier. We're talking about a- adaptation. Uh, oh, no. We 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 get used to things, and as a result, our choices <laughs> rarely make us feel good as we expect. Pay when it's that time. I've done it. I've done it. I've ruined our marriages. Oh no. But but let's just see what. Well, 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 I'll tell you this. Let's 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 um let's let's. Well, I feel like we need to uh, bring change, them in. Let's change course. <laughs> let's change course. We're going to change course. Okay. So I I I remember when I was when when I I hit a big contract. This was probably in 2018, and then I went out and I bought a bit of a Mr. Fancy Pants watch. Yeah. And this watch brought me so much joy the first few months while I was wearing it. I, you know, felt heavy and I was walking around. I was like, Oh, look at me. I'm, I'm very successful, you know, walking like Conor McGregor and whatnot. And at about month four, it was just left on my bathroom sink, collecting dust. And you know, when you brush your teeth and you brush your teeth really yeah. viciously and just the toothpaste goes everywhere. And it was just, it was covered in dust and had toothpaste marks on it. And I didn't care. Yeah. Wow. And in fact, right now it's sitting in a cupboard, just tucked away. Because sometimes, to me, like I love throwing Xander around. It's actually better off not even wearing a watch. So it's it's fascinating how fast we adapt, mm-hmm. and then how once you adapt, it just doesn't make you feel as good anymore. Mm. Well, well, the book talks about. I think it uses the example of people winning the lotto uh, and the lottery, yeah, and then it uses that's a classic example, one. And it uses the example of when people get really bad health news. You know, at two extremes of the scale. And how mm. adaptation, that concept of adaptation actually 
happens at both ends of the spectrum. Like those who win the lottery every time they've done studies and research, for the most part, the majority of people end up being more unhappy after they win the lotto because they get used to it. They get detached from their relationships. You know, it isn't what they originally expected. Uh, And then those that experience tragedy at the other end, it nearly has the other side effect where people think, oh, they'll never recover from this. But mm-hmm. it's more around, well, oh, that actually wasn't as bad as what I imagined. And there's all these silver well, linings and all this upside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so maybe the concept I, I there is I still find that really hard to believe, by the way, just 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 to, just for the record. Oh, I think it's man, okay. You see, in my mind, maybe I'm just being a monkey about this, but it's like Wow, to compare those two extremes is there's a part of me that's like I still would rather win the lottery. Hmm. So I think I kind of agree with it. Yeah, because- I mean, I, I I understand it like logically and intellectually. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, it makes sense. But just well, still rather win the lottery. Well, you think about it in your life when you've had things yeah. like buying the expensive watch. Mm. Call it, you put that in the lotto category and maybe that wasn't as satisfying as what it was. And then maybe you've had instances where there's been a severe challenge that's happened and then you've overcome it. Net, net, where do you think you've had, where net, net, where do you think there's greater happiness? So let's just use the example of, you know, my entire speaking career going down the drain uh, because of COVID-19 and then how I reinvented myself. But like in that time, it was very stressful. You are correct. The adverse time was felt better. Like I, I'm still feeling good from being able to, you know, come back from that low. Mm. Well, and maybe this goes back to a deeper point is do yeah. we like it more when we exceed our expectations versus the pain of when we hit what the expectation is and it doesn't meet what we imagined it to be? Because I mm. think that is a very common trend. There you go. Yeah, we're getting somewhere. Yeah, the, the 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 expectation I had for the watch was far greater than what it provided. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I think that- as human beings, we tend to have very high expectations for material things to bring us an immense amount of joy. However, it, it rarely does. It rarely does. Whereas when spontaneous things happen that mm. are kind of unpredictable and unexpected, I feel like sometimes there's greater joy in those if we're measuring it on joy or happiness, which is really hard to quantify. But I, I just say from experience, like I've, I've gone for a lot of the bigger goals in my life and I've been lucky enough to achieve a number of those. But in hindsight now, once, you know, we've spoken about this before, it's like once you climb that mountain, I remember mm. early on in my life, I would place a lot of value on the impact that hitting that goal would have on my life. And then you learn from doing it a couple of times to change your expectations of it because it's very rarely exactly what you imagined it to be. Yeah. Like, like the only time where I think it's met the expectations fully from what I expected, and even then it goes back to the challenger side, it's when you're you know, having kids, like having the two boys where you look forward to that for ages. And we had, but again, we, we actually had to go through a fair bit to have our kids. So again, maybe it's again, because it felt like it might not have happened and it was unexpected, then the enjoyment's there and maybe kids are just, you know, that 
uh, I don't know, anyone who's a parent will know this. It's um, They just throw so many different things at you that I think it exceeds the expectations. But, you know, when I compare that then, say, to like business goals or winning an award or whatever it might be, mm. like, like to me, it's like, oh, yeah, like I remember imagining, oh, wow, that would be amazing, amazing. And then it happens. It's like, oh, yeah, that was cool for like a week. Yeah. And then it's like, what's the next thing? Whereas I think that's a really interesting concept. Like what is it in our lives that do provide sustainable satisfaction? You know, like I think everything has an expiry date. It's just maybe the reality of the world, but um, maybe that's well, the more what, way it's reviewing it and having. I mean, I think I think we know what does right. I think innately we all know, and we've all heard this before, that experiences bring about feelings that last longer, as opposed to material things. However, how many how many companies are there out there? promoting and marketing experiences versus how many companies are there out there that market and promote products, right? Yeah. I mean, again, it's, you know, how, how many companies out there are, are, are marketing? Hey, it's really important to sit down with your family tonight and have deep and meaningful conversations and storytell with each other to deepen your connection as a family. Yeah. yeah no one's selling that, mate. Everyone's bloody selling, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm just in my garage with my Ferrari. So uh, just, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, every ad you see, everything you see is about products. So no wonder we've fallen for the illusion of buying things instead of creating experiences. Like, I mean, an example you said that just came to mind when you spoke about it is, dude, the other night, my cousins and I we were just we're hanging out at my, out at my place. And then one of my cousins just says, do you guys want to go crabbing? Yeah. We're like, Wait, what? And he's like, yeah, let's, why don't we just go down to the fishing store, grab some of those, um, those suits that you can pull up to your, like overalls that you waterproof and let's go get some breaks, go crabbing. Best night ever, man. <laughs> we went out crabbing to like three in the morning. It was bloody brilliant. Mm-hmm. Right. That I still get joy from that. And it's been two to three weeks already. And like, so I think it's, uh, when we look at the choices that we can potentially make that brings us happiness, so many of those choices are things. Mm. If, I, if you think about what's going to make me happy and you think about the choices that you would come up with, it's generally things, 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 and things. It's rarely experiences and connection. So I think not only has an abundance of choice messed us up, it's messed us up in that our choices tend to be predominantly about things, not experiences. Yeah. And the I book talks to, about that is how, yeah. especially in the Western world, how connection has changed. Like I, I know it's mm-hmm. not in this book, but I remember speaking to somebody and they were saying that if you look at the Western world, like previously in previous generations, people would have a tribe, they'd have their village, they'd have their community, they'd have the reliance on their neighbours you know, family stay together for a lot longer. Whereas now, especially if you look at it, there's such a safety net in a large portion of the world. Like there's, you know, education, there's hospitals, there's government assistance, there's all these things. And I think it's led to this culture of, well, I don't really need that group anymore. I don't need my neighbor anymore. I don't need the the family members as much. I can rely on myself and I can choose Mm -hmm. what I need to choose. So, so there's pros in that because, probably unlike any other time in history, a large percentage of the world has a significant amount of choice and freedom. But then I think the trade-off for that a lot of the times is connection and it's the depth of connection. You know, you add that with the smartphone as well where you don't really ever have to be bored. 
you now have this combination of I can choose whatever I want. I can then keep myself entertained at some level with mini dopamine hits through this device. It's like, well, do I really need to have a four-hour conversation with somebody or will I go and spend that time? And, and that for me is where every time I go and play a round of golf with mm. three friends, it's like it brings you back to that point. And it's like, wow, all right, now this is true connection. You know, it's four hours. We're out there. You get the stories. There aren't any distractions. And it's like this is an amazing component of it where, again, you know, plugging activities like sport or leisure. And, and I think their level of importance becomes so much bigger because you're right. Like so much of it is about consuming things. Um, whereas I think for a lot of people, the depth comes from the experience and then sharing that experience with uh, other people. And then to, to bring it back to what we were saying initially is that adaptation happens when we buy something and then we just think it's going to bring us happiness, but then we adapt to it and then over time it brings us less happiness. So if you're talking about ROI and being aware of the return on investment of things and experiences, experiences bring you a better return on investment. Right? You'll feel better for longer. However, the ultimate human being's ability to be able to adapt is still there. So regardless of how good that golf game was, how good those conversations were, you adapt to them if you have the same kind of conversations all the time, right? It's about variety. Ultimately, it's about variety. So I think it's a variety of experiences that will keep you happy. And of yeah. course, you need things. Things are important, but it's, it's don't be thing heavy, rather be experience heavy. And remember that variety is important in, in, in every aspect of your life. I, I think that's it's pretty damn critical. But it's funny, isn't it? That's why it's a paradox. Because the more variety you have, then the more you're going to suffer. Yeah. So there's, there's a why, certain amount of variety that is good. And it's like everything that we talk about, right? It's somewhere in the middle. There's a sweet spot. It's, if you go too extreme at any scale, middle. It, it's true. Like it always ends up reverting back somewhere around there. That, yeah. and, and maybe we do have to test the extremes at both sides. Yeah. And it's that's how you find exploring out. It. Yeah, that's how you find out. I think that's the a big thing that I took from that because it's really hard. Like, it, well, it's impossible. You cannot yeah. quantify the effectiveness of your decisions and your choices, mm. but but you can give yourself a narrative that allows you to accept them, and then objectively be like, all right, if I've made this decision, that's happened, that's in the past. I'm not going to wear any cost of that anymore. But I will now look at it again in this moment in time, review it, and then make another decision or take another action that then moves it forward. But that's the biggest thing that stood out for me is that I look at this and I think you can look at choices as being very, very overwhelming. But one of the things that I yeah. personally always try to avoid is regret. You know, like I don't, uh, you know, it asks some questions there about contentment, I think. And it's like, well, when you make a decision, do you then regret it? Or do you wish that you changed it? Do you feel like you would have done things differently? And I make heaps of decisions that are incorrect. But I think it's just getting into the mindset of, all right, well, I'm going to accept that regardless of what happens. And then I'll make another one. And it might be incorrect as well, but then I'll make another one. And I'll just live with it. And I think well, that provides me with a sense of security nearly that I know that there's just a continuation of making decisions and movement. What you're also saying there is that every decision we make is not permanent. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a, well, like I like, yeah. I mean, the, the moment I said that, I just immediately went back to Derek Sivers. He kind of gave away the 20 million. That kind of is permanent. But the thing is, it's not permanent in the sense that he will never generate wealth again. Is that, well, it's just, it's, 
And then also, I mean, one of the things I, I talk about a lot in my, in my classes that I teach is that all the judgments you have about you are temporary. Like they, 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 they're not permanent. And then I think a lot of the times if we, if you're making decisions feeling as if it's permanent, it's not like, again, let's say, take the classic example. Oh, I want to quit my job. It's permanent. No, it's not. You can go back to it if you really want to. And if you ask in the right way and you didn't leave in the terrible way, you can still, you, know, you can, you can totally still be able to make the right decision again later. You know, it's, it's not, you can rectify it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's more uh, the picture that came to mind. It's like stitching a quilt, you know? So the decisions that we make, they're all part of the story and mm. they exist. So, so maybe there is a level of permanence because uh, I, I feel like there's a flow on effect with every move, but it's more around the narrative that you put around that because mm. you can't, I don't think you can just ignore the past. And just be yeah. like, oh, well, that that didn't happen. Uh, I'm over it. But I think what you can do is you can get a bit more pragmatic around how you learn and review it and then take forward action. So I'd probably be more just in the camp that, all right, that happened, but I'm not going to punish myself or pay the price for any missteps or whatever they are. I'll always try to put a positive spin on it and be like, all right, mm. well, what did I learn from that? Because even the worst experiences, if you look at it the right way, or from a different angle, you'll be able to find some positive angle, whether it's through lesson or experience or moment or whatever it was that provides a platform for, you know, improvement the next time that you go, go through there. And I think the book talks about it in the, from the lens that the way that we kind of measure choices as a default isn't really based on the objective reality of the choice. We measure it based on yeah. the way that it makes us feel at the time or how it makes yeah. us feel ongoing. And, and I think that's where we have a lot more control because objectively, if you choose the wrong restaurant, there's no real right or wrong answer to that. It's more mm. how we look at it. It's more if we're thinking that oh, I should have gone to the other one because it had better reviews. Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter because that's the lens that you get to really choose it from. Like if you go to that restaurant mm. and you, it could be the worst food ever, but if you're just fully grateful that, wow, I'm having an amazing meal. Yeah. That chef, even though, was a little bit rude has just cooked up the, <laughs> the nicest thing ever. Like, like you can spin that realistically however you want. There isn't much objective reality there. That's really, I love what you're talking about here is that you get to choose how you interpret your reality. I mean, that, that is, uh, I think I sometimes can forget that, that I, I get to choose how I interpret my reality. That's pretty crazy when you think about it. Hmm. You get to choose. You get to write your own story at the end of the day, right? Yeah, because no when you else. think about it, every, every story can have so many different interpretations. And depending on how you learn to interpret it, it will dictate your quality of life. So, yeah. so that means, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting thing. How, how do you become really good at, narrating or telling the story in a way that has a positive spin to it. Yeah. I think from a practical standpoint, it's noting down, like it's maybe a practice of when you do make decisions is either on reflection or as you're making the decision, just having a clear, you know, you, you just write it down. It's like, well, this is how I felt when I make the choice. This is what I thought the potential ups and downs might be of the choice. I'm comfortable with that. I'll now 
And then in reflection, maybe you do that in a month or two months or three weeks time. It's like, well, this is the narrative, regardless of how it pans out that I'm going to give to that decision. So if you're comfortable, I think with how you made the decision, and then you also have an idea of what's going to be the positives, like even if it doesn't work out that well, it's like, like say for example, when I started the business Future Golf, um, I remember writing it down and I had I always broke it down. Like I had a worst case scenario and I had a best case mm. scenario. And at that point it was really simple, but I'm like, worst case scenario here, if it's a failure is I'm going to get to play some golf with my friends, which I would have done anyway. So Whereas the other part of my brain could have said that, oh, you're going to look like such an idiot if this thing fails. Like people are going to be embarrassed. You might, you know, how will you save face because you went out there on a limb and you did that. Whereas I think reshaping the narrative that even if the so-called worst case is still a good outcome internally makes you play with a lot more freedom. Where and you can put that lens on nearly everything. Like, say, for example, pandemics hit, you've lost your job. That, that's a common thing that I'm hearing a lot of people, you know, talking about. And it's like, well, bang, like 100%. It's probably not an ideal outcome that mm. that has happened. But how are you going to look at it? What, what type of lens are you going to have? Are you going to have the lens of, oh, poor me, I've got all my bills, I've got all these things that I have to now look at, you know, or like, why did I get that? And John didn't get it when, when he's the worst, you know, everyone knows he's the worst employee in the company. Like, like these are some of the narratives that I think are easy to point to. But I think mm. there, there's another side where you could probably be kind to yourself and be like, well, how amazing was that? Like, what a great experience. I enjoyed that gig. I learned all of these things. How can I now use the learnings from that thing and then take the next step? Because the objective reality of that is that that opportunity and situation has changed. It's like, how can you put a positive spin on it? Enjoy the past experience for what it was and find the the plus. Because it's natural for everyone to say, as soon as something bad happens, that was the worst thing ever. Like yeah. uh, I dedicated so much time. I never should have been there. And if that's the case, then I think, again, it's that, that's on you. That's your account. You didn't take enough ownership or accountability for being in that situation anyway. And you're probably in it for the wrong reasons. But now, how do you then move forward with a positive spin? And I think that's a mindset shift or it's a mindset approach where how can you find the positive in nearly anything is probably the the move. I can show you an example of that right now. I mean, uh, when I left the US and decided to kind of leave my speaking career and come back to Australia to, 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 to make a decision. For me, that was a decision of happiness, right? It was a, a decision to come back for happiness. And I, I, I had some people in, in my industry tell me that it was career suicide, right? So it's, mm. it's funny how two different perspectives. For me, it was like this joyous decision of going back and <laughs> you know, experiencing happiness. And some people were like, that's, man, that's, oh, that's, that's a stupid decision. So it's, it's and I think I love your pragmatic advice. I, I, I do something that I think can be a little bit silly, but whenever things like that or bad things happen, if you, you'll say it's that, I look at myself as being the hero of my own movie mm-hmm. and go, how does this hero turn it around? And sometimes it's, it's fun as it sounds and sometimes it's not, but it's just something I think of in my head when I, you know, because you really are, you, you are the hero of your own movie right now. 
And as far as you're, you're concerned, this may just be a simulation and everything around you is just a construct of your mind and it's not real anyway. <laughs> That's a different so podcast. In, <laughs> no, but in the case that that is probably true because Elon Musk says that is more likely than you actually yeah. existing in this universe, this is most likely a just simulation. So in the case that statistics does show this is probably a simulation anyway, you might as well just play this out in your way. You know, you are the hero of this story and maybe you have experienced some adversity. What choices can you make now? Well, the choice you can make is choose to write your own narrative and see it in the way you want to see it, right? That, that, like Ali said, if you, you know, if you lost your job, then far out. What a wonderful opportunity now to step away from a great experience and, and now look at how I can be better and step into the next chapter of my life. Yeah. Yeah. So I, think, I, I, I love that. I think, I think it's just... Well, it's the it's an operating system that I've picked up probably a while ago, just purely from a pragmatic standpoint. Because I used to sit there and overanalyze things, and I just found it a waste of time. Like it did not help at all. Because once mm. something's actually happened, and you overthink it, I don't know how much value there is in emotionally being connected to that for too long a period of time, other than extracting the learnings, and then moving ahead. And, and it's not usually that black and white or that simple as well. You know, like I'm, yeah, I was going to say I'm, it I'm usually like, isn't. I'm, I'm, I'm distilling that because there is always some sort of residual impact, which is just the reality of it. But, but even when I just look at it, it was more just from speaking to a lot of – because I remember three, four years ago, uh, I purposefully went out and I spoke to a lot of people that I either viewed as successful uh, and I, I started at that point because that's where you naturally start when you're early on in your career. But what I then found was those that I thought were traditionally successful and I'd actually speak to them at length, I'd find out that there was a great dissatisfaction because I was picking people that were successful based on you know, the lists that they were on or the material impact that I could see or the success of their sporting career or business career. But then I found that there was this small subset that existed there of people that were both good at what they did, but then also highly happy, you know, content, impactful. And then I'm like, all right, well, that's the model that I think is a lot more sustainable that I'd want to emulate. And then digging a little bit deeper in that. And I think a big thing there was just the lens that they looked at life. Whereas mm. there was one side there where they're like, well, I've just committed. I'm all in on this one thing. I hustle or do it 15 hours a day. And then you dig a bit deeper. It's like, well, would you do it again if you had the choice? And a lot of the time, the answer is, well, I probably wouldn't do it that way. Uh, I'd spend yeah. a bit more time with my kids. I'd spend a bit more time with my family. I would have, you know, gone sailing a little bit more. I would have traveled. I would have done that. And that was one camp. And then there was another camp where pretty, pretty similar level of success. But it felt like they played the game with a lot more freedom and joy. And I think that mm. was a lot to do with the perspective of how they went about it. And also the impact that they were having on others. So I think that that connection piece uh, knocked off a little bit more as well. So that that's one of the biggest reasons why I came back to Australia was for connection. Mm. You know, it was to, well, to come back to, to to feel more connected to my family, to my friends, and and this is the thing, right? If I relate it back to this book, when I was in America, I. Oh, this sounds terrible, but it's like because I speak to like over 100,000 people a year and I do so many conferences, if I wanted friends, it wasn't going to be that difficult to find friends. 
but it was overwhelming. Mm. It was overwhelming. Whereas when, when, when I'm back here, and maybe this is a bad thing, but this is me speaking my mind here, is that I don't have to think about who's going to be my friend. I've already got my friends. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I have to tell you that, that the connection piece of what you're talking about, I think is so important that I think is, yeah, it's not, yeah, not a lot of people have it. And it's, 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 it's really sad. Yeah. And, and I found that really surprising knowing how you go about it. Well, like when we would catch up in the States, like how tight yeah. you still were with your call it original crew. Like, like yeah. if you look at it, you know, and even with Craig being over in the, in the States with you, like I would have thought somebody like yourself, who's very extroverted, you know, connection driven and a communicator. I thought you would have had like, you would have built a network of a hundred people that you would see every day uh, in that, <laughs> in that space, which, which is a really interesting reflection point that. Well, well I think, I think I, I didn't because I was so focused on work. Mm. I, I was so focused on building the business, so focused on just how do I make more money? That, that, like, that was, I, I went there with a single-minded focus of just that. And it's why I really let my life go in so many other areas that when you ask me, would you do that again? My answer would be like, hell no. Nope, probably wouldn't do that again. Yep. And that's, that's such a great question to ask yourself is, would you do that again? And I think that's like a that. great calibrating question to ask yourself every now and then. Just go, hey, that, that last year you just went through, would you do that again? Would you? And, you know, if you ask me if I'd do what I've done this year again, I probably would. Because this year has been such a more, ba- it, it's, been a, it's been a very balanced year. But then also when I think about it, I didn't have much choice this year. This year is the, probably the, the, the year that I had the least amount of choice where I had to do certain things that I just had to do. There wasn't really choice. There was no choice in it. And I, f- I, feel, I, I, f- I feel more productive this year than I've ever been in any other year. That's a really interesting so it's, point. It's funny when you just remove all choices and you just have to do this. I mean, look, I, I also, what just came to my mind that I have to say straight away is that otherwise I'll forget it. I was, I was going for a walk on the beach with, with one of the probably more successful people in my network. And I remember walking for, with him on the beach and we, we had a really heartfelt conversation together. And he said to me, I don't feel happy. And I was like, Ooh, I just, I wouldn't have guessed this. And he said to me, look, I, oh, I just feel like when I do something in my life, I keep thinking, Oh, should I have done the other thing? Would I've had more impact there? Should I have spent more time here or should I be doing this? And he just shared with me, and, and it was one of the reasons why I decided to read this book as well, in that he said, the more choice I have in my life, the more unhappy I am. Whereas early in my career, early in my entrepreneurial life, there was only one gear. There was no choice of gears. There was just head down, bum up, work. And he goes, and I look back on those memories so in such a fond way. Like He's just like, oh, those were the days. Now it's just... And I just went, wow, that's, this is so interesting in that I used to think people at this level of success don't suffer. I thought, mm. surely by this point, you are, have achieved the utopia of happiness. But it's not true in that the, the problem of choice is very apparent. It, yep. it, and, and 
there's an illusion that I, I think I definitely thought existed. Whereas when I get to a certain point in my life, I won't suffer anymore. But more and more, you realize that all through life is just different kinds of suffering. Yeah, and it's, it's, it sounds really, it sounds really terrible, but but it's just true. Yeah, you no, know, it's just it, yeah. There's just yeah. Mm. I'm yet to meet somebody who said, "Wow, that was just the perfect run." <laughs> like, like I just that got doesn't exist. I just, I, I just got a 60 year perfect streak. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing was hard. You, it just, I think, it just, it just, it just planned out exactly how I wanted it to. If I met that person, I probably would get so upset, I'd slap him. Well, I think I'd just be like, "No, you're not real. This is not true." Well, yeah. it makes sense, right? Because if that existed, and and it's funny, like people are on as a society and as a species, we're on this search mm. of what you call happiness right? And contentment. Like that's what everyone's about. They, they want to find for, for this limited time that I've got on earth, how do I make it the best for myself, my, my family, the people around me? And, and it's this yeah. never ending search. And you look at it and people have tried to do it in a variety of different ways. They've done it through borders and territories and cultures and religions and organizations and politics at the macro level. Cults. Cults, cults is a big one you missed. Like whatever it is, right? But, yeah. but there is still, there is no unified way because if somebody had figured out the ideal mm. way to go to it and if it was binary and it existed like that, by now, after call it 50,000 years or 5,000 years or 2,000 years of this level of civilization, people would have just been mm. like, look, like we all now agree that this is the way we should all do it. Because we have tested it, we've found it out. Objectively, it's the best way to go about it. And mm. I could say right now that we are no closer to that. If yeah. anything, the world is probably at a greater divide of how people view <laughs> as the right way to live uh, versus call it the wrong way to live. And it maybe just shows that the the only way to make sense of that is you just have to find out your own kind of value set and rule set and then try to design that experience closely related to that is like like the more that I try to deduce it and if there is a problem there to be solved or figure it out. That's how I've found it for general contentment over say the last five or six years. Because otherwise, yeah, it's too overwhelming. It's yeah it's hard yeah, to actually right. put a finger on it. Because the way that I'll want to live my life is going to be completely different to how you're going to live yours. We're going to have areas where we cross over. Never be the same. Maybe that's just a part of being individuals. Or well, well, it's it's what it's what you and I always say, right? Is that it's often the pursuit of living a meaningful life and asking the questions of how I live a meaningful life that actually leads you to living a meaningful life. It's not about discovering the meaning. It's about always being on the journey of asking questions. And 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 what that ultimately means is that you you never. Like it's just, but but why is it that we all think there's a there's a way to do it? That there's this perfect path. I fall victim to this all the time. Like I, I often think, oh, am I doing things right? Damn it, have, have I? Have I, am I stuffing up? And it's just, it's it's funny that I even ask myself that. Is that am I stuffing up? What do you mean? There's there's no there's no there's no rule. There's no rule book. There's no path. Like it's just yeah. it's it's just. Dude, if, if I if I looked at myself and 
if, if we could just go back in time, it would be so crazy. I just know so with, with such certainty that when I was in my early 20s, I thought 35-year-old Vin, 34-year-old Vin would just, just be, mm, he's got it. He's down. Life is, mm. yeah, <laughs> not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, twenty-five-year-old Vin was dumb. Twenty-one-year-old <laughs> Vin. Twenty-one-year-old Vin. Sorry. Yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, Vin. Twenty-five-year-old Vin was even dumber. <laughs> and then now at thirty-four, <laughs> I, oh, I just I don't know. I don't know yeah. what happened. <laughs> yeah, we'll judge that in ten years' time. I You'll judge that in ten years' time. Yeah. Well, this is the interesting one, and I don't know where you sit on this, but. The tendency to judge others. This is going off topic on the book. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, for one, uh, I really have always struggled with it. Is things As like you, God, you judge others? Well, well, no, no, no. Like in terms of like, I really struggle being in a conversation where there's gossip and people are like, yeah, you know, talking about personal stories. And, and I think that's got like a that. linking, it, it gives you an insight into decision making off that mm. individual as well because I've found that people that spend a lot of time focusing on the actions of others and then adding commentary to that generally probably aren't doing all that much inward reflection. And mm. I don't know if that's too much of a blanket call. Like, like, And I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. Like in our house we have chats and we talk about I live with these, but I always find this like strange feeling when, it's, when you start making a judgment on someone else's like personal life or the way that they're going about it. It's hard to avoid, but I don't know where you sit on that. And I, I don't like it because I'm just now more aware than I was when I was younger. Look, I, I, I used to do this when I was young. I used to talk about people and it's actually what got me in trouble when I was really young, got me beat up a few times, but it's as, as a, as a grown adult now who's still probably not that smart, I I don't like it because we never know someone's full situation. Mm. You know, it's just, we we don't know what that person's been through. Like you just you never know the full picture. And how can you make a judgment when you don't see it for like like with clarity? Maybe Ty Lopez is a really good person. Then. <laughs> Maybe he's a great human being, and you need a. Slap yourself and stop it. No, I won't. I'm making a decision. Yeah. I don't yeah. like that man. <laughs> Doing this one for Ty. Yeah. <laughs> you like, it's just. <laughs> Maybe you save skin and like does all these really. Oh, man, I don't. Look, I, I'm a hypocrite. Fine. But it's just, I, I just, yeah, I, in my own personal life with the people that I actually know, I, I just, I don't like it when I hear stuff like that. It's just because to me, it's just, yeah. hey, you don't know what that person's going Looks like we've lost Vin just for a second. Happens every two to three episodes, but I'm sure we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Anyway, just while Vin gets his internet sorted, I know we've gone down a few different rabbit holes in this episode, but share your comments as well. And given that we're having this little break, maybe we generally don't have the comments up uh, while we're doing the episode, but we definitely do answer them after the episode. But now that we're in this situation, let's... Let's just jump into a couple of those. Um, I'm just going. My bad. That now. was uh, that was that was me not not connecting to Ethernet again. Oh, oh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I did 
I don't know how long you had uh, left us there for, so I was just going to jump into a couple of the comments and get some Q&A happening uh, for a couple of minutes. I don't know if you want to go down that path or just continue the discussion. We're back, so we're going to continue the discussion. So this makes it easier for Craig to edit later. Yeah, no, hey, Craig, timestamp an hour 20. (laughs) Yeah, an hour 20. But what what, what I was saying before I got cut up because I didn't put in the Ethernet cable is – that, that's one of the reasons I don't like it because A, I, don't, I wouldn't like it people talking behind my back about me without having full context and B, like if you're not an expert on an area, maybe don't talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just one of those things that I, I don't really like as well. Another interesting point, like you're, you're in the public space to, you know, you've got relatively large audience. How do you yeah. feel when you find out people are talking about you and yeah and there are and there and and here's and and here's the thing about like being out there right is that i get negative comments i get hate i get people and and now what's interesting is because people know i've got a fan base they don't want my fans to attack them so they dm me really (laughs) mean messages yeah they do they dm me really (laughs) yeah and they dm it to me and I've just learned not to look at it anymore. I used to be so curious about what they have to say because, and I used to pretend that I used to be like, oh, well, but maybe there's a bit of truth in that that I should listen to and then it makes me a better person. But then often when I just read, I'm like, okay, I feel really crap now. Ah, damn it. I I don't feel good anymore. So so to me now when I, you know, you can see the preview of the first few sentences, you're like, yeah, delete. I'm not going to even read that. Yeah. Because and, and and I have to make the choice to no longer make that comment there being a choice for me to be able to make. Does that make sense? Like I have to just remove it from my choice category and go, it's no longer a choice. I can't read it. And when I, I mean, do that, I feel better. <laughs> I'd say knowing what it is. Like, can you stop yeah. reading it when you like to me? I would have to read it. <laughs> no, see, yeah, but that's, that's because you're new to this game, brother. That's because your skin is still thin. I've got very thick skin now. And I've, well, because I've, I've hurt myself over and over again because of this before. Yeah. I've read the comments many times and then I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to anymore. And I don't get that many. So, you know, it's still tempting, right? But whereas if, I, I think if you get flooded by it, it'd be easy to just go, yeah, not reading it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I've just learned it's not good for you. I just learned that. And, and here's what, what happens online is that, again, it's choice, right? If, if you choose to read it, you're going to be worse off because there's mm. – and, and, again, people will listen to something you say in a snippet and they make a decision on who you are as a person where it's not true. Yeah. You don't have the full picture. Yeah. Yeah. So I think – It's okay. I think, our, I think our learnings from that sort of topic is – Maybe it's around being careful or kind to how you judge both yourself and how you judge others. Because, and, you know, tying that back to choices is, you know, it's not always going to be the correct choice or the most aligned choice, but it's up to you really how you view that. And there's probably pain on both sides, right? Like if you spend too much of your time and energy worrying about what other people are doing, you're not really focusing on what you have to do. And then if you spend too much time, you know, negatively or, you know, paralyzing yourself because you're judging yourself too harshly, again, you're probably not going to be able to progress either. So uh, that just might be a bit of a pragmatic approach if and worth reflecting on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. I, I'm trying to 
bring it back to the book as well. And, and what's mm. interesting about this book that for, for, for me is that the concept is, is simple. And my initial reaction to the simplicity of it was, oh, what the hell? I thought it would have been more profound. But then I forget that as a teacher, one of the core lessons you learn is the more simple something is, the more actual profound it is. Because most, most of the problems we experience in life, they don't have a complex solution. The way the problem came about may be complex. However, the solution is often simple. Mm. And the solution to this book is stop being a maximizer, be a satisfizer, right? It's, it's kind of simplify your life. And the more you simplify your life, the happier you will be. And the big thing I took from it is what areas of your life can you simplify that you're maximizing unnecessarily? I like that. And, and when I was reviewing my life, there are quite a few areas that I currently maximize, right? That, that I shouldn't be. And I mean, have you, can I ask you, are there areas of your life that you maximize that you shouldn't? Yeah, for sure. Like, like, so I didn't do the analysis like that, but what it what I did make a note for was to review it, especially I think with the changes over this year, I, I've found myself analyzing a lot more than what I would have uh, because of the circumstances in a lot of different areas. It's probably got to do with two things. There's, it's an offset of maybe more time and not having as many of those usual distractions just given the nature of the environment this year. So then you think, mm. like I found myself thinking deeper about certain things that I probably wouldn't have because there's more bandwidth to do so. Uh, mm. That's one side. And then at times I felt like I've gone too deep into thinking about those things to a level that I don't personally like or it doesn't really align to me where it's just at a ridiculous, like if you saw some of the notes and stuff, it's like a beautiful mind kind of framework where it's like, yeah, this guy needs to get some fresh air and get outside yeah. for a little bit. <laughs> you know where that is have a kit cat uh, right yeah. yeah yeah have a kit cat where where i think that's what it's made me realize and because i've done it the other way where i've gone a lot more with the flow and i've let i've let things just sort of take their course and to mm. me the, there's enjoyment of that as well so so it's both it, it, it's a mixture of uh, what i found is choosing the things that i really like you said exactly that uh, particular examples don't really come to mind right now. I think probably to okay. do with the business, uh, there would be a few there where it's like, all right, well, I need to make some quicker decisions rather than just letting them linger a little bit like some of them have. That, that's probably one of the lessons where I need to, once I've analyzed everything and I've weighed up all the options, uh, it's probably just more around taking action um, is, is one of the lessons, I guess. Well, I can share with you for me, I have realized that I don't have to be an expert at everything. I think this book has relieved that burden for me. Like, I'll give you an example, right? Because of the abundance of choice we live in in today's world, I, I want to start getting back into a really good exercise regime, right? And then so I started looking up all these different articles, trying to look up books on health and exercise. And, and then I found myself feeling really overwhelmed because I had a list of about eight or nine books. And I was like, oh man, ah, like just, ah. and then, then I thought, you know what, why don't I, because I read this book, why don't I learn from an expert in the area? Why don't I just get a PT? 
to, to map something out for me. And then good is good enough. I'm not trying to be a ripped bodybuilder with 1% body fat. Cool. Great. But then my intention was that I was like, what, what am I doing? I'm, I'm actually totally fine with this. Like, again, just, 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 yeah, just a little bit less chubby. Right. <laughs> and then for me, same thing with nutrition. I, I started, I, I got all these books on nutrition and, and I just looked at the pile of books and I just went, mm, or should I just go see a nutritionist and get them to help me map out something that's simpler? So to me, I, I now value experts a lot more in, in certain areas where I realize I don't have to become the expert in those areas. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's like, you, you don't have to go down that path so deep. Someone's already gone down that rabbit hole. Go to them. It's good enough. Yeah, and then that. save that energy for the realm of communication that you're an expert in and deep dive, like dive deeper into that. So, so that's, yeah. that's, kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. And, and another area I'll tell you real quick as well, because I just want to give a few examples, is in the area of like interior design. So we're currently going through renovating the house. And I found myself again, just mindlessly scrolling through pictures like for hours on end, trying to find the right colors to match. And one of our good friends is an interior designer. Why not just get her to come in and help us? Yep. Do you know what I mean? So- that's where I started to apply it. And I feel so much better already because I'm like, not going to be reading these books. Not going to be reading these books. <laughs> I think you've touched on such an important point that we, had, we didn't cover in this is, mm. you know, we, we looked at it from the review point where it's not, well, there's experts, but we looked at it more from like social proof, yeah. cumulative data point. Whereas yes. I think what you've just really hit on is the value of one genuine expert in the field of problem or decision that you're weighing up at the moment that is actually walked the path of that and yeah. has a body of expertise that is at a higher level than your own. And I think that that is something very undervalued because I was just thinking then, you know, like I'm thinking about the things where I went a little bit deeper and I was weighing up a lot of these decisions. And then I had a chat to a couple of my advisors in those specific areas yeah. and I'd be sitting there, I'd be sitting there for like five, six hours fleshing out different options, thoughts and ideas. And in about 20 minutes, they'll be able to help me clarify exactly what the core and the root of that problem was or the decision was. And it's amazing just even the power of having somebody ask you three, four, five different questions, how much clarity mm. that gives you rather than having dialogue and scenarios and all of that <laughs> weighing <laughs> in your own you know, kind of mine, it's like having a shower nearly, right? Like where it's mm. like a mind shower of, well, all right, now this is clear. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I hate things that are unresolved. I really struggle mm. with things that are in the middle or in limbo. Like, like say, for example, I look at lawyers. I can't fathom how they go through a case for six months without not knowing what uh, the judge is thinking or the outcome is going to be because it just feels... Like, like how, how do you turn off the, the thinking uh, while yeah. you're in the middle of that process? Uh, whereas, I mean, to make that relevant to choice, right? It's that, you, it's that moment before you're making the choice. Imagine you're just forever stuck in that limbo of before you're making a choice. That's exhausting, man. Mm -hmm. That's exhausting. Yeah. What, a, what an exhausting place to be. Yeah, it's that limbo of like, because the idea of a choice is there has been no decision that has been made. Once a decision has been made, the choice no longer exists. 
So I, I, yeah. I also took from this book as well that I need to be making some more decisions in my life so that there's less choice. Because it's not only about simplification of life, it's also about making some key decisions to remove choice completely. Mm-hmm. Did you, yeah. So, uh, And then there's a practical application to that because I think most of us at any given time, we've probably got two to three big decisions that we're weighing up, you know, that, that, that are bigger than the others. But hmm. Usually one. You know, there, there's something there when you, your mind wanders off where you're like, oh, yeah, it's just lingering there. It's a bit unresolved. It could be as simple as I need to call up and I need to apologize for something that I've done, you know, or I need to have this conversation with somebody that I've been putting off for a while or uh, I need to finally choose the color of paint for the house so we can get it painted. You know, there's all these things and I think you've just hit hit it on the head there. Like maybe a real practical thing is for everyone out there that's listening, it's like, well, get a piece of paper and write down two or three of the decisions that you're making and make a commitment to yeah. to solve that decision. Like how are you going to it's, go about it? What what actions can you take to resolve that? To, it's what to I did. Your, it's, you know, it's, it's what I did as a result of reading this book is I actually wrote down a list of choices that I had that were lingering and I was in a state of limbo with these choices. And I wrote down, I actually got like nine things that I just made a decision on and it just made me feel so much better because like say, say for example, right? One of the things that I was becoming a maximizer on is I've got a lot of junk around the house and I was choosing which uh, outdoor shed I want to get for my house. And then I was, dude, I, the, oh, I had like 20 tabs open about which one was the best. I tried to find reviews on that. I'm like, damn it, this is an under, this is an under-reviewed area, uh, outdoor sheds. And then I just made the decision and now it's out of my head. It's done. How good is that? Gone. It's free. Dude, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm now free. And yeah. like, again, it's just other little decisions. Like when am I going to, and it's funny because it almost becomes like a, it helps you clear your inbox because yeah. I, I had things that I needed to do. Where am I going to put these boxes in the house? Make a decision. <laughs> I'm putting it there. It's done. I don't think yeah. about it anymore. So it's just, it was overwhelming for me to then realize how many areas in my life or how many choices, how many areas that I was kind of balancing on the fence and going, oh, should I do that? Or should I do that? And I just didn't make a choice. So, I mean, yeah. I think it's, a, it's, it's like a cleanup of the inbox. Yeah. Well, I took two things away that, you know, when I was thinking about like what to potentially share with the audience, I think there's, there's two sides. There's one is it's about developing a decision-making framework mm. and that will be different for each individual. But I think if you can systemize the way that you make decisions and put some constraints around the time and bandwidth you allow for those decisions to be made, that's, yeah. that's one thing that can be quite pragmatic. Uh, and then the other is finding out what is it that you need to make decisions around that you currently haven't made decisions on. You know, so if, if I look at it from two, the, like if I look at my notes from the book, it was those two key things. And I think mm. what you did there is that list component. The other one is the, that I've used a few different times is I just do a brain dump of all the questions that are unanswered running through my head. Mm. And I do that on a piece of paper. So it might be 10, 20 different questions. And then I leave a little bit of space the potential solutions or ways forward to progress that question to get answered. And then I'll look back on that, you know, in a week's time or whatever. And then it'll be like, all right, did I get that answered? Who do I need to go for? Uh, who do I need to go to, to get that answer? Uh, and then that can also help when the decision isn't clear. It helps clarify the decision a little bit more too. I like it. It's a, it's a, it's a way to get more clarity. Clarity. 
Yeah, so mm. questions, the list of yeah. decisions, and then where those decisions need to be made seems like a little bit of a formula. You see, this is where I get to the point now where once I finished the book, I felt a little bit annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think I, I, think I, felt, I think I felt annoyed because of how simple it was. Not, not, not to say anything bad about the author, because again, simplicity is often distilled wisdom. And the reason I, I, I'm talking about being annoyed is that it was annoying how simple this lesson was in that like the root of a huge part of my unhappiness is so easily or not easily so simply resolved. It's by having less choice, you actually become mm. happier. And I'm not saying no choice. I'm just saying by having less choice and choosing less. And it's like, damn it. Why? Like it's, it's, it's like, oh, dude, the, solu- the, the thing you've been suffering from, oh, yeah, it's just easy, man. Just less. Just have less. And you're good. <laughs> yeah. That's annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's annoying. But then it's all it's it's annoying. More challenging part, though. It's can you then be equally as content with the constraints of lesser choice? That I want to learn to be. I want to can, learn to be. Yeah. That's, uh, that's that will, the, yeah. And I think that's a very interesting, like a lot of people I've spoken to, the lessons that they've learned from the pandemic is around that, is how do I now operate in a world where there's fewer choices? Yeah. And am I comfortable with that? And then it's a mixed bag. Some people are highly uncomfortable. And, and I found this especially more with younger people, like you know, kids in there like, who are 18, 20, and just can't fathom the notion of not being able to go to the nightclub with their mates. They're like, why, mm. why is this happening to me? Or why is my VCE year 12 just being impacted like this? Like, why is my university year just completely flipped on my head? And I get it. It's yeah. like, this is the prime years in their life. Whereas I think you're in your mid thirties, like a lot of people in our age group, I think if they've got their family set up, the younger, we're like, yeah, well, we've kind of done all of that. I'm pretty happy to chill at home for a couple of months with the kids. You know, I'll work on a couple of projects. I'll build some Lego. I'll read some books. Like, we'll get through it. Uh, the older people, the older gen are just like, this is amazing. It's like, you guys don't even know what you're going through. Like, we went through the war. You know, we went through yeah, some real yeah. shit. And uh, these ones complaining about having to wear a mask. They don't know what it's like when we had to turn the lights off because you didn't know whether you were going to get bombed or not. You know, like, it's well, like, I love, I love the different perspectives of everyone, depending on where they are in life. Well, right the, the difference of perspectives <laughs> there that you're talking about is highly dependent on access to experience. Mm. And access to the variety of experience, right? Mm. So the oldest generation who has the greatest <laughs> variety of experience and they have access to that readily, they're able to have greater perspective. Whereas when you don't have that range of experience really and all you've experienced is just, you know, having fun and then all of a sudden this happens, <laughs> of course it's terrible. This is equivalent and you can't judge that, right? Because it's equivalent it's to true. going through the war potentially yeah. for them because they have nothing yeah. else to compare it to. So yeah, it, it just speaks to, you know, again, again, why it's the paradox is that if you don't have a lot of choice and you haven't made the decision to experience lots of things, when bad things happen, if you lack that experience, then it's, it's going to be awful for you. Yeah. It's, it's why that- It's that, more challenging. That, it's, yeah, it's more challenging. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I, I think if you had any other thoughts you wanted to share, otherwise for me- <coughs> This was one of those books where I went into it thinking there was a lot more to it. <laughs> and, and, 
And I walk out of, you know, this experience with this book feeling or just being reminded that simplicity is often the the solution yep. in, in, in every sense. In, in, in terms of whatever problem you're going through, the solution is actually simple. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, but it's just funny to my, my verisal, my, my kind of like, ugh, my, my reaction to it was, I thought I knew this lesson, but I was like, no, you kind of mm. didn't. Yep. Uh, the only one that I, the only real other note that I had was the book references um, thinking fast and slow a lot. Yeah, and it does. Thinking of those, those authors. So just if you want to know more about, you know, how, yeah, I think that thinking fast and slow is just one of the most amazing books around the psychology yeah, system of system decision making. Yeah. yeah, how the yeah. brain operates, why we interpret things certain ways. It just provides more of the foundational, I think, lessons that exist within this book. Was just one of the thoughts that I had. But I agree. I think it's a it's a good book if you're looking to understand a little bit more about how we operate um psychologically and how we make decisions and what those decisions mean to us the book definitely provides some clarity around that i i found this book like i, I didn't find insights in it that were really mind-blowing where yeah i was like you know like this is something completely new and i'm gonna incorporate it what i found more with this was there was a little bit of reflection around all yeah. right can i do things slightly differently and and it more kind of reminded me to go back and wanting to read Thinking Fast and Slow a little bit more just because yeah. it referenced it so much um, was probably my conclusion of it. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. it it I, I I won't say that it didn't help me. It made me write down a list of things that I could just immediately check off and no longer have to be in limbo with. It yeah, also helped me make one big decision that I'll share too is that you know my wife and I always kept thinking, oh, should we? you know, look for another home. Should we, you know, and, and all, we, you just keep thinking back and forth about it. And it, it was exhausting trying to look up realestate.com.au, you know, every <laughs> week in, week out. And we just kind of made the call, you know what, let's just, let's make this our forever home. Why do we need yeah, well, another house? Like, what's good. the point? Yeah. But, but it's just, yeah, it's a good choice. Right. But then after you yeah. make that choice, then the other choices become easier because now it's, well, let's do some renovations then let's yeah. do this. Let's do that. It's just, yeah. so it's a, uh, it's, yeah it's one of those books where I don't think I realized the power of it because of its simplicity. It, it, it fools you into thinking that, ah, it was just, ah, it was too easy. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I really like that. I think the what you touched on there is there's like domino choices as well, where you start off with one choice and it leads down the path of different choices and maybe makes it, it goes back to the Tim Ferriss type of thinking. Like uh, if I could do one, I might have 50 things on my list. If I pick one of these, what's the most significant one that's going to move the needle forward. And Mm. that's a really good way again, of looking at choices and decisions that you might be weighing up is, all right, is there, is there one decision here that trumps it all? Like you did with the nutritionist, you know, you rather than reading 10 books, going into 50 different grocery stores and all that, you find one expert in the field that gives you a plan and then you follow that plan. (laughs) <laughs> it sounds like there's a lot more cognitive ease by the approach yeah. that you're now embarking on than the other one because the other one scares me a little bit. Like I'm sweating for thinking, <laughs> wow, man, yeah, yeah. how are you going to find the answers? What what diet are you going to choose? Like which protein shakes are you going to eat? Whereas- Yeah, no, I'll start trying to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I'll just look at someone. It's like, yeah, you've got a six pack. How do I get it? Like, um, what did you do <laughs> to share it? <laughs> I, I never want one as well just for, 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 for the record because, man, you sacrifice so much yummy food to be able to have that. Well, yeah, I, I will say this for me in conclusion. I'd love yeah. to hear your conclusion on this. Yeah. My conclusion is this after reading this book. Mm-hmm. In life, you only have so much time 
so that you can only be a maximizer in a few areas. Choose wisely where you decide to be a maximizer. And then in all other areas, seek to become a satisfizer. And then I think with that, you'll live a much happier life. I don't think life is about being a satisfizer overall. I think life is about choosing where you choose to be a maximizer and go all in and create something great. But then in other areas, learn to be a satisfizer. Lower those expectations a little. Love it. And I would only finish that off with is be mindful of the way that you feel when you do make choices and why they're important to you. Add that narrative you know, combine that with your story and understand that you are the one that is in control of how you can view your choices, how you reflect on them, and ultimately how you make them. Episode five. We did it. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ali, and thanks for for joining us for another episode of The Vin and Ali Show, where we talk about books that we really enjoy. Looking forward to seeing you all on the next one. Bye for now. Cheers. Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out.